0: director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to begin today by calling in the Helping Spirits to be with us. So I call out first to the ancestors. I call out to those who lived well, those who died well, those who bring us all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines. I call out to those dreamers. And I call out to life, those ancestors who dreamt. And I call out to the ancestor that is the earth and the sun. And out through the solar system and the galaxy and all the way to the universe, that all of these, all the way to the elements, all of these energies are our ancestors. And I call out to the ancestors to gather around us here today to help us, the living, the humans who are here incarnate on the earth, who are called at this time, at this auspicious time, to craft the new story for a new world. We have a great responsibility on our shoulders to create, and I ask the ancestors of all the living things to gather around us here today to help us, help us to be wise and creative and innovative and to do what we've truly been called here to do. Help us, please be with us. And as we stand with all the concentric circles of ancestors and all their many forms gathering around us here today, let us turn our awareness from our heads to our hearts and draw our energy from our hearts to our bellies and from our bellies all the way down, down into the earth, through all the layers of the earth and all the way down into the very center of the earth. And let us take this moment to reach out with our hearts with a great pulse of gratitude, gratitude for life. Gratitude for the wonder and the mystery and the beauty. Gratitude for this day. Gratitude for this opportunity to try again. We give thanks to the earth and we reach deep into the very center of the earth and we draw that energy up. Drawing the energy of the earth up into ourselves, up into our lives, up into our proceedings here today. And in this way we call up the energy of groundedness, the energy of place and home, hearth the energy of belonging we call up this energy from the earth and we ask the earth to bring the wisdom of manifestation that we might learn how to be here in form in a good way we call up this energy of the earth to give us a sense of connection and interconnection and finally that sense of oneness that full interconnectedness of the great web of life That gives us oneness, that we might come into right relationship with ourselves, from that oneness, right relationship with each other, right relationship with the environment and right relationship with the spirit world. And we ask these energies of the earth to help us to understand how to be here, inform ourselves in a good way so that all that we do is good for all living things and that what we do supports life and with the energy of the earth rising up like a crystal clear spring of refreshing water rising up into our bellies and from our bellies to our hearts and our hearts to our mind awash in the energy of the earth let us reach up through all the layers of the sky out through whatever weather is above you today or tonight out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos and as we send our energy up May we caress and be caressed by all the heavenly bodies and the wonders and the mystery of the universe. Reaching all the way out to the highest power of the universe and by whatever name you know this power. Know it. Name it. Connect with it intimately. Reach out to this energy and call it down. Drawing into yourself. Drawing into this day. Drawing into these proceedings. Drawing into your very own body. Blessing. Drawing in protection. Drawing in generosity and benevolence and devotion. Drawing in these energies from above that we can be inspired and feel that we are championed in our causes and the mentors that we need are all around us. Let us draw this energy in so that we can feel in our day a moment of our own excellence. And so as we draw the sky energy down into our head and into our heart and our belly... Let us take a moment and appreciate the satisfaction of the energy of the yin and yang, the earth and sky, moving and dancing within us and coming into balance, bringing us into balance for our work here today, whatever that might be. And so, with the energy of the big love, the energy of earth and sky infusing our bodies, infusing ourselves, and bringing us into balance, we call out the spirit of the heart. And we ask the spirit of the heart to take its form as the crucible of change, as that amazing, magnificent, and unique place within us that can draw up the fiery passions of the belly and draw down the crystal clarity of the mind, so that each can exist together in a dynamic tension, in a dance that can give birth to that which we must come to know in this life, which is our soul's purpose, why we are here. And may we find in this heart the courage to act on that impulse, to act on that energy in some way, and to bring our soul's purpose into manifestation in this day. Large or small, let us act. And so we give thanks to the energy of the ancestors gathered around, the earth below, the sky above, and the heart in the center of it all. And I give thanks to those people that helped me to keep the show alive and vital and well and free to all of you who have access to the internet. So I give thanks to Sherwood and Lydia, to Deb and Jeffrey, and all of the listeners who have donated to the show. Last year was our first of four years um, in which we were fully listener-supported. And I ask you to continue this trend of wonderfulness and love and generosity and um, help me to continue to keep the show alive and vital and free for those who choose to listen. Um, and I give thanks to those of you who have sent me emails recently about how you are using what you are learning from the show. This is a deeply satisfying well as well. It inspires me and helps me to understand that the show has value and that it is um, meaningful. To people out in the world, not just me sitting here talking to myself. And um, I also give thanks to you, who sent, those of you who are sending me questions and um, show ideas because this also helps me to understand what you, the listeners, um, want to hear more about. And all of this, all of this I'm deeply grateful for because it is not just me doing this. We are doing this. Um, so thank you. Thanks to all of you. So, for this last um, bunch of time here, last couple months, we've been talking about the new world, the new, the changing of the old world, which was what all the hullabaloo was about in um, December, the solstice of last year, and this stepping into the new world, and that we have chosen to be incarnate in this time, to be part of this transition, and to be part of the people who are. Involve in gracefully burying, honoring, and allowing to die off the old story. And giving birth with intention, we hope, with heart, with clarity to the new story. And so in that, it's, 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 a, it's a great deal like um, the aspect of shamanic practice that I find so powerful, which is being poised between the ancestors and the descendants as as the part of that cycle that is actually manifesting in the physical world and so from the ancestors there is always this challenge for us as contemporary people of drawing forward that which is rich and meaningful from the lives of those who've gone before us and releasing those things that are now no longer useful no longer productive no longer effective and in particular not allowing ourselves to be driven by the ancestral energies that are utterly and completely unresolved. And this is very much like our relationship with the old story. It's um, as I've been talking about that cranky old man that was left alone for 5,000 and some years. And of course he's grumpy. Of course he's judgmental and controlling and all of the things that he is because he was separated by our beliefs from his love, the great love of his life. And so, so this is this cranky old man grandfather behind us, this old story. And it is our task to, to respect that which was good and true in that old story and to draw that forward, to learn from that which was problematic. And it is our responsibility to learn. It's the ancestor's true responsibility to remember. But it is our responsibility to draw on that collective memory and to learn And to create and to innovate and to heal where necessary, to reconcile where necessary, and ideally, perhaps to make peace. So this is our calling as the living in this time, is to be in this relationship, this compassionate relationship with the old story, without allowing it to bowl us over and take over the new story. And this is what I um, appreciate about the stories of the North American Indigenous people about this time of um, change from one world to the next because this has happened many times. And what I I like about the um, stories from the North American Indigenous people is they often talk about that one person who thought, you know, either they didn't have the courage to let something go that needed to be let go or they thought they were somehow special and could carry forward Um, Some kind of energy nobody else could, could manage. And in this way, they bring things over from the old world into the new and create havoc for everyone. And I like that warning. And I believe that we need to take heed. Because in this particular time, in this particular transition between the worlds, there's a lot of humans on the planet. And what we believe gains power. What we don't believe loses power. And we are profoundly shaping this transition, more so perhaps than ever, because there are simply so many of us. And so we need to take heed in this story and understand whether we're ready for it or not, whether we're grown-ups or not, that we are the living who are here now and we are manifesting the story. And we need to take heed. What do we need to have the courage to let go of? What do we need to risk for the possibility of a new future? How do we need to do this differently? And so I talked about messages from the great teachers as we came into the transformation. And for the last handful of weeks, I've been talking about allies, I believe, that we need to make. These are powerful, powerful allies like darkness and the unknown that the old story taught us to fear and taught us us that we were separate from. And I have done my best to encourage us over the past month to ally with these energies so that we will be, by definition then, on a different journey and so that we have the hope of truly crafting a new story. So what I'd like to talk about today is um, a subject near and dear to my heart and my life, which is shamanism. And the way in which the old story is deeply embedded in contemporary shamanism, particularly in America, but also um, in any of the countries sort of dominated by the Western world and Western thinking, where there isn't a real vital shamanic tradition that has... um, uh, by hook and by crook, stayed alive um, over this last several hundred, two, three hundred years. So what, what I'd like to talk about today is how our contemporary shamanic practices are not immune to the influence of the old story. The old story, key, fundamental to the old story was that separation is at the origin. And because of this, the old story says, we must control our true nature, we must dominate nature the environment itself, and we must violently suppress ideas that arise from unruly places like dreams, journeys, and, oh, goodness, no, crazy logic. Even just saying this now, I can feel in my bones how weary I am of this ridiculous old story and all that that old story ultimately creates, that we are living in the logical conclusion and have been for the last couple decades, really living in the logical conclusion of that old story. That old story cannot create anything different than what it has created. This is the logical conclusion. And I just, even talking about it, I can just feel how weary I am with it. And so for many of us who found our way into shamanism over these past 50, 60 years or less, you know, in this last time frame, this sort of neo-shamanism phase, um, you know, we wandered there largely because the story never really suited us. We never fit in. It didn't work for us. And um, perhaps we were born weary of the old story. Who knows? Who knows? But once we arrived in this land of neo-shamanism or core shamanism or contemporary shamanism or whatever you want to call it, we found a home. Uh, But we weren't asked to change the story. We just replaced the characters in the old story with sympathetic characters like helping spirits and shamanic teachers who wandered along with us in the old story. So we cast ourselves as outcasts, as the mystics, the saviors, or even the victims who could never make a living doing what we love. Right. We may have lost faith in the vision of the future cast by the old story, and no longer trust the storytellers, but we have not fundamentally changed the story ourselves. We must. And I would argue that as people who have an active working relationship with spirit, we are the most capable if we choose to. But we must choose to change the story. Because one can easily Practice shamanism actively, transformatively, passionately, utterly and completely within the confines of the old story. And this is the point that I'm trying to make today. So we must, and I mean specifically we, those of us who communicate with spirit directly and receive the guidance needed to craft a new story for the people. We must change the story. But how can we do that if we have not fundamentally changed the story within ourselves? So, let me talk first about what fundamental change means to me because everyone who's ever gone to a shamanic workshop with any teacher of any reputation has a great time. It's really fun. We do things, we become aware of things, it feels transformational. Um, Oh, my God, that was amazing. Um, I'll never um, stop talking to these people in my whole life. This is my community. This is my home. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Right. This is this is and I'm not really being facetious. It's really fun to go to workshops about shamanism. It's great. But what does it mean? What do I mean here when I'm saying but you can do all that and never fundamentally change the story? So what it means is that to change, this fundamental change, is to change the very beliefs from which the story draws its reality and its power. Stories matter because they are the way that we shape reality. Beware the stories you read or tell. Subtly, at night, beneath the waters of consciousness, they are altering your world. This is a quote I've shared again and again throughout this time talking about the story by a Nigerian writer, Ben Okri. Stories shape our reality in the micro terms of what we manifest inside the reality we live in each day. right? And stories scale up and they manifest the reality, the, the, the very sense of the story, story from which reality comes. In other words, Do we believe fundamentally in the separation of things or do we not? Fundamental beliefs. Is everything energy or not? Is everything connected or not? Are we one or not? Those are the kinds of beliefs that shape the reality the story is spinning. And then we all live inside that reality. And... One of the things I didn't get to say the other day on this teleseminar with Itzhak Berry is that the truth is, at that level of belief, there will never be any proof. So you have to choose. You have to use your free will and choose what reality do you want to live in. And given that choice, you must make it real by the beliefs you choose to believe in. And those are the ones that will gain power. It really is that precarious a beast. So then what does it mean to fundamentally change the story? So I'm going to start small, just with a single soul retrieval. When a soul part is lost, a belief is forged in that time, in the panic of the fear of death that is going on when a soul part leaves. And a soul part can leave because it's afraid for its life. It can leave because it's afraid for its emotional life. It can leave because it's afraid for its mental life, like a conflict of beliefs of how we see the world. And a soul part can leave because it's afraid for its spiritual life. Um, Soul parts leave because of a fear of death, but it's not just limited to physical death. There are many ways to die. There are many of you out there who are the walking dead. But you're consuming resources and breathing air and drinking water and eating food and lattes and whatever, right? So there are many ways to die. And so soul parts leave because of a fear of death, either chronically, um, a chronic problem, which we would call abuse, and a straw that finally breaks the camel's back, and the part's like, all right, I'm doing, I can't do this anymore, I'm out of here. Or a trauma. And it can be a trauma that's very personal. It um, happens specifically to you with people you are intimately connected with or it can be totally accidental like, you know, getting hit by a car on your bike. Okay, so that's solace But the important thing in there is a belief is forged. And then that belief, because it's forged at the level of the soul's experience, becomes a belief that shapes your world after that forever until the soul part comes back. Now when the soul part comes back, what that creates is the opportunity to fundamentally change that belief, if you choose to. So many, many people receive soul parts back and the initial rush of energy that comes from that over the first couple of weeks and then they wander off and move on to the next thing and they don't actually engage in the aspect of integrating a soul part in which we change those fundamental beliefs and and it is at that point in which we choose to change the fundamental beliefs with our soul part as we're integrating that we can then change the reality our beliefs are creating in life and this is why many of you who have had soul retrievals but have not actually but they haven't actually changed your life that's why it hasn't because you were not guided by your practitioner or you chose not to do the integration completely so that the part of you that was in the act of shaping that malformed belief comes back so the two of you in the love and compassion of your situation now can uh, release that malformed belief and allow the beliefs to return to truth, to a true belief, which of course all children actually know when they get here and then they get all messed up (laughs) by what they experience here in the physical world. So this is what I mean by changing a fundamental belief. So in um, like the four-year program that I teach, those teachings are about um, learning the skills, shamanic and personal work skills, experiencing the healings, experiencing the initiations and the transformations that are necessary for a contemporary person to actually take on the task of clearing his or her false self. And so this is another place that we can engage in what I consider fundamental change or transformation. Now, the clearing of the false self is something psychology doesn't even believe we can or should do. So it's a purely shamanic act. This is not something that's being done in the psychological world. Um, However, what it requires is the ability to go outside of yourself, to see the structure or the mechanism that runs the false self, and then to enter back into the mechanism. So at this point, we're obviously talking about altered states. This is not something you can see with your mind, because your mind, frankly, is largely controlled by your false self. So whatever your mind would show you would be false, and it would be to keep you from dismantling the false self. And so the only way to do this is through the altered states shamanism offers. And so we get outside, we see the mechanism, we enter back into the mechanism itself and exploit that weak link. And we do that by whatever means necessary. And we're only able to do this because of our relationship with warriorship. I mean, there's all, these, all of these multiple relationships developed over the four years in the training that allow us to approach this task which will, by definition, take everything we have to accomplish it. And it is doable. And it is a profound fundamental transformation. And in this way, a person changes their own story. So I've asked for years, actually, in in my practice, you know, what is going on when those wonderful clients who actually are doing everything, they really do have a daily practice. They do maybe have a shamanic practice or some kind of spiritual practice. They are communicating with spirit. They do, you know, work out. They do have a good diet. They're not eating foods they're allergic to. They are doing work that they love. You know, everything's happening. So why are they still stuck in some pattern that brings them a great deal of pain and suffering? And this is a question that I've asked is what is happening when the Ancient forms, be they within the yogic tradition, the the Vedic tradition, be they in the Buddhist or Taoist traditions or shamanic traditions, these true ancient forms. What is going on when people are really engaged in them and they're not working? So what's going on at that point is that the person needs a fundamental transformation at the level of the beliefs that run the whole operating system. So it's not just like I'm a human, my operating system's running, and I have my five elements, and they're in balance or they're not, but they're happening inside the reality of my story. And a fundamental belief is going to change the reality of my story, which will, of course, change all the elements. But the point is five-element acupuncture, for example, isn't going to change that kind of fundamental belief that I'm talking about. And so my point here today is we will not succeed in changing the story If we do not also change our fundamental beliefs. And it's not enough to talk to our helping spirits and get their guidance to bring new allies into our life. If we do not change the fundamental beliefs that the old story taught us to believe in. And... So this is really what I mean by changing these fundamental beliefs. Is that so? For example, you know, my partner is a Chinese, a doctor of Chinese medicine. When his people are doing it all but they're stuck, he sends them to me. They need a soul retrieval or something that is going to allow them to access a fundamental belief. For me, when my people, my student client people who are doing it all, get stuck, I send them to him for a, a practice. A new practice actually about transforming a deep elemental imbalance that is held in place by the person's belief. So the only way they can transform the elemental imbalance at this level, this fundamental level, is by changing their beliefs. And there are actually new acupuncture patterns that can help the brain to grow differently, literally to reshape the brain that is holding on to these old beliefs. So, this is my point and this is something I've been looking at now for a decade in my own practice is what is going on when people truly are doing everything but they can't change. And it's the same the answer to that is the same thing we need to be looking at now in terms of changing the story because the story will not change if the fundamental beliefs that are creating reality remain the same. And so one of the most potent places we see this happening or I see this happening, I hope you see it happening is in the contemporary practice of shamanism, that there are manifestations of the old story that I observe repeatedly in contemporary shamanic practice and for the sake of discussion today, let's just consider shamanic healers as a subset of shamanic practitioners, in other words, anyone who is using shamanic skills in an effort to live his or her life well is a shamanic practitioner and I actually believe we need to bring this idea of things into our collective consciousness because we need way more people living shamanically in numbers and, and, and taking action in all facets of life. We need way more of those than we need shamanic healers. We only need a handful of shamanic healers relative to a whole bunch of people and so what we really need is a world of shamanic practitioners not a world of shamanic healers yikes (laughs) let me off that world (laughs) anyway sorry i digress all right so let me talk specifically about where i see the old story manifest in our shamanic practices and why i think that's happening and what i think we need to do about that again because of any group of people on the planet right now, we are the ones that already have developed working relationships with spirit. We've already developed relationships with, the, with the elements and with nature. We supposedly are the people that can lead this transformation, but we can't lead it if we're actually doing our shamanism utterly contained in the old story. Okay, so the first one is what I call the love of the universe. Okay, so there's this experience – that most beginning journeyers have. And you never know when it's going to happen. You never know what question is going to happen within because it never happens because we try to make it happen. But it happens spontaneously. And you're drumming. As a teacher, you can be standing there drumming and watching everybody journey. You can see it start to happen to someone. Their whole body starts to quiver in a certain way. And they come out of the journey, they're usually crying, and they come out of the journey very reluctantly, very slowly, and then they're very quiet. They don't write, and they don't want to share. And they're very, very peaceful. And so what's happened in their journey is they've gone off, and they've met their helping spirit, and they asked their question, and they've got their answer. And then their helping spirit starts to act independent of the question and the answer. I mean this actually happens quite often in journeys that you just start dancing with your power animal or whatever. But in this particular journey, the helping spirit connects with the journeyer in such a way and in a quality of stillness that the helping spirit becomes a channel. For the love of the universe, the deepest truth of the universe, to channel through the helping spirit directly into the person journeying. And the person is held there then by their helping spirit in this journey experiencing the true nature of the universe, the true love of the universe. And they are there and that's the reason they're so reluctant to leave the journey because all of a sudden they are love. They are in love. And it is profound. It is all-encompassing. It is physical. It is spiritual. It is mental. It is emotional. It is everything. And they come out of this journey and, and they try, usually heroically, to describe what is simply indescribable. And this is the true nature of our existence. Behind all of the illusion of form and individuality and our soul's purpose and all that stuff, our nature is to be in this love, this vast universe-spanning love. And that's the oneness. And we have that experience from time to time in our journeys. But the first time, it's indescribable. It's like any other first time. The first time it happens, it's unbelievable. And this is good. There's nothing wrong with this. This is not a criticism. This is talking about one of the best moments in anyone's life, shamanic life. But then what happens, because people are having it, shaped by the old story, is that people take that intensity and that intimacy and they do nothing with that journey. It's so overwhelming, intense and beautiful and wonderful, they do nothing with it. They don't even think about what it means in, in the sense of what are the ramifications of on my life if I accept this truth, this truth that I am love, I am in love, and that this is the energetic state of my being at all times if I choose to go there. People don't think about it. It's just this great experience they had in somebody's workshop. And they don't think about what it means. What does it mean to you To find out through your own experience that you are love and you are in love at all times. So I would say, when you recover from that journey, draw that understanding out to its logical conclusion in your life, which means every story you carry that explains to you why you are not worthy goes, gets cleared. Every story that defines for you why you are unlovable is cleared, needs to be cleared. That that journey doesn't do that clearing for you. It just gives you the reality and your job is to turn around, look at your life and start knocking the dominoes down and to start clearing all of the stories you carry about yourself in your life that are contrary to that new truth you just experienced which is an ancient and very old truth that's the work and to the person I have almost never seen that work get done nobody clears any aspects of themselves or their beliefs or their stories and they continue to hold on to the stories that support their right to feel unworthy their right to feel unlovable, their issues around self-love. That is what that journey is for, people, is to give you, you the experience that you need to let those stories go because none of them are true. That's what I mean about shamanism happening in the old story because teachers are letting their students do that. The teachers are not challenging the student. When their issues around self-worth, love, etc., value, all that stuff comes up, they're not taking that student back to that journey they had on that day and saying, you have already been shown by the universe that that is not true. So what do we need to do here to clear that story, to clear that issue, to clear that whatever, whatever it is? That's the work that needs to be done. And now what's worse, not only does the work not get done, and I I get it, people, most shamanic teachers don't guide you in the work that needs to get done after the journeys have been had. They just create wonderful journeys for you to go take, places for you to go explore, and everybody has a great time journeying, and none of it has any legs. No one is shown how to take the answer to the journey, that kind of profound journey experience, and move it through your life, move that reality or truth through your life to clear Everything you carry that doesn't resonate with that, which is a lot of energy, and it needs to be cleared. So what's worse is not only does the work not get done, but the journeyer, because they're in a naive beginning person learning state, now holds that as the best journey they've ever had. Now, the truth of the matter is most journeys are never going to measure up to that because that's a pretty big one. The whole love of the universe journey is about as big as it gets, right? The rest of your journeys aren't going to measure up to that. But the naive learning to journey student now holds that as the bar. And so now they're a little bit disappointed in every journey that comes after. And pretty soon they start telling themselves they can't journey. Pretty soon they say, well, you know, my journeys aren't, aren't any good because they're not as intense and intimate as that journey. And the truth of the matter is with journeying, most of the journeys are pretty simple, They're not profoundly earth-shatteringly changing. You get an answer. It's a really simple answer. You do your best to go do that, hopefully. So the problem with not helping a student understand about this journey and what it means in their life is now they hold it as a standard for everything else. And they start to fail, frankly, in their shamanic practice. So what must change? So what needs to change is our understanding that the helping spirits give us – this experience or any experience of these universal truths so that we can use that experience to delete the bad code that we carry to delete these beliefs given to us by the old story and you know we are one with all things and that oneness is love and we undermine our own programming from the old story when we take what we experience in this type of journey and make it real in our life That's what it's for. And as people experiencing it, you need to understand that. And as teachers teaching it, we need to understand it. And we need to hold our students to that work. So the next piece where I see the old story really manifest in shamanism is in what I call, oh my God, shamanism. So now this is the aspect of shamanism that is actually, again, in the beginning, really beautiful. In the beginning of journeying, there's a lot of, oh, my God. Um, oh, my God, I found a home in shamanism. Oh, my God, I have a helping spirit. I'm really not alone in the world. Oh, my God, my journey was actually helpful for someone else. These these answers are real. Oh, my God, I felt the energy of that fire moving through me and taking all that stuff I gave tonight at this fire ritual Oh, my God, that soul part changed my life. There's a lot of, oh, my God, in the beginning of shamanism. And it's really cool. And it's real. And it's beautiful. In the beginning. So what happens then is that I see journeyers and practitioners and teachers keep stepping back into that place. And that act of stepping back into, oh, my God, shamanism. Right After it's authentic, after it's real, after it really is the first few times that's happening and you really are thinking, oh, my God, because your little world, your little world bubble is being burst by this great big shamanic world. And that's true and it's authentic and it's great. And it happens once. Once you move out of that place to go to a journey circle and still say, I just can't believe my journeys are helpful for someone else. It's inauthentic. It's false. It's false naivete. So let's, let's step for a moment out of my passion here into some Taoism to explain this. So in life, we are born and Taoistically, um, we are believed to be innocent. So we're born and we're innocent. Life happens and innocence is lost. And that's supposed to happen that we are meant to lose that innocence and that is a naive innocence it's innocence born of the utter lack of experience so we have experiences and we lose our innocence and we have more and more experiences and usually a few dark nights of the soul and this and that and the other thing and if you're a good Taoist, eventually through your practice through your understanding of the complementary dualism in things you begin to clear things and cultivate things and begin to understand how things are really operating and you Clear the refuse of all of those experiences, you learn what there's to learn, and eventually you return to a place of innocence. That's a doubt that's the Taoistic journey. You return to a place of innocence, or transparency is another word that's used for that state, of this sort of return to innocence. Now, the difference in that innocence, the one post-experience, is that it is without naivete. It is innocence born out of learning from experience. Okay, so it's all good, right? So after you've had this consistent experience of your helping spirit showing you um, the work that you need to do in journeys and your experience that your journeys are helpful, not just for you, but for others, you're no longer innocent about the power of shamanism. So to choose a stance of naivete After you've lost your innocence, is to continue in this very false sense of, oh, my God, shamanism. And I cannot tell you how sick I am of, oh, my God, shamanism. No wonder people's journeys begin to fade in intensity. And the helping spirits seem to be harder to reach. They can't stand that falseness. And that naivete and that refusal to take this great opening shamanism creates, which is the authentic, oh my God, right? That great opening shamanism takes and step up into your power, not back into this hideous, stagnant, suffocating, saccharine sweet, false naivete. I can't believe my journeys are so helpful for other people. I can't believe I got another helping spirit. Can you imagine that? I have nine now. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. The helping spirits come to help us. And then they find us here treading water, playing small, hiding from our power to make real change in our lives and in the world. No wonder they wander off and feel hard to reach. So why do we do this? And I see this all the time in every circle I have ever participated in, including circles at conferences, which are supposedly conferences of shamanic practitioners. I see this false naivete from people who know perfectly well how to journey and that their journeys work. So what I see in this is the old story um, supporting this. In the old story, there's a great misunderstanding of power and abuse of power. The old story says that the source of power is in might, in dominance, in control. But that isn't power from a shamanic perspective. It's a misuse of power. So we have to learn again to use our words, use all of our words and speak the truth. Stop shortening the sentence from misuse of power to power right speak the truth true power is mediated mediated in the heart and true power is love in action with focus and motion that's power and we need to step up into it and stop stepping back but that old story right has created a whole really screwed up relationship with power So call it what it is, people, not just out there, but inside yourself. The choice to play small and not use your power is also an abuse of power. Denial or indulgence, it doesn't matter. Either way, they are abuse or misuse of power. Excess, scarcity or excess abundance, they are both a misuse. So stand up with the help of your helping spirits and use your power. Do your best. Make mistakes learn from your mistakes, and then use your power again. That is what our helping spirits are coming to help us to do. So another place that I see the um, old story deeply embedded in our contemporary shamanic practices is in this policy or guideline or whatever of not interpreting our own journeys. And this is directly coming out of the old story and its lie of separation. So the lie of separation in the old story goes something like this. I'm separate from God, so I must give my power over and let someone better able than I interpret my relationship with spirit. And so this action, this action of not interpreting your own journey is the same as going to a priest or a rabbi to talk to God. It's asking someone else to serve as your intermediary. And the entire point, thank you, Sandra Ingerman and Hank Wasserman for your great book, is direct revelation from spirit not revelations from spirit with a sidetrack to go over to this other person and ask them to interpret the journey so now this issue has very honest origins just like the other two that I've been talking about very very honest origins so let's look at where this came from so the majority of contemporary people learn to journey in a great big class of a bunch of other people who don't know anything about journeying either they're just a bunch of cool contemporary people going in there to learn to journey for whatever reason, and none of you know what the hell you're doing. No one is initiated. You're actually lucky if the teacher in the room is initiated, and even that is not a safe bet. Just because someone's teaching you to journey does not mean they're initiated. So you are all peers. You're all learning, and for that reason, there is an intentional sort of looseness around interpretation. Because there is no reason for me beginning journeyer, and I learned to journey that way too, 150 people, gymnasium, Manhattan, Michael Harner learned how to journey in a great big fat group. There's no reason for me to subvert my or subjugate my sense of truth for my peer who's also just learning how to journey, right? And so there's a looseness around who interprets what because everyone's just trying to figure it out and that's fine. However… In the real world of shamans, one of the definitions of shaman is the person who interprets the spirits for the people. And in all of my travels, never once has a shaman in any other country ever done a journey and then said, for me, and then said, oh, you interpret it. That is not the shaman's role because by definition, The shaman is the person who who has experienced the initiatory experiences that allows the shaman to interpret clearly and accurately and to not be influenced by their false self, by politics, by biases, by wounded children, by whatever. And so we need to understand that culturally, across the globe, in all traditional shamanic cultures, the shaman does not do the journey and then let the people um, interpret it now in some cultures the shaman's journey is interpreted by someone who's learned to interpret shaman, shamanic journeys because that's the setup of that particular shamanic practice but that's the exception that proves the rule so the shaman is responsible for interpreting his or her symbolic language even in michael Harner 's Harner Method Shamanic Counseling, which I have heard isn 't called that anymore, but anyway, the practitioner is learning how to teach the client to journey and interpret his or her own shamanic language shamanically. So the point is, our symbolic language is ours to interpret, and this 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 principle of not interpreting your own journey is part of the reason people don 't understand their journeys. <laughs> drives me absolutely crazy and this is so old story you don't have this this belief that you are separate from god and you don't have the capacity to understand this you need someone to do it for you even if it's just your neighbor in the circle it is so old story let's get with the program people even traditional shamans know better than i mean of course they know better than this but even if you look at traditional shamanism that's not the format the format is you the journeyer Learn to interpret your symbolic language. If you are someone who works with other people, if you have clients, and you cannot tell the difference between your symbolic language and things that happen in your journeys for your client, you are not ready to practice. Well, at least you're not ready to take money for practicing. That our symbolic language and another person's symbolic language, when they come together, the other person's symbolic language feels foreign. We don't necessarily understand it. Yes, I get stuff all the time in my journeys for other people that I don't understand. But it feels different from the rest of the stuff I'm getting that I do understand. And the important thing about this is that if a person takes my journey on their behalf and interprets it entirely through their own lens, their false self is interpreting the journey. And they will not understand the work that needs to be done, nor will they do it. Sorry, but that has truly been my experience. Now, I invite people to help me to interpret the parts I truly don't understand because they're foreign and they're from that person's symbolic language. But I'm still the one responsible for interpreting the healing that is needed, the diagnosis and the remedy. That is my job. They are paying me to step into the role of the shaman. It is my job, not theirs, to diagnose and interpret the remedy and within that diagnosis and or the remedy there may be pieces they can help me understand more fully because some of the symbolic language is theirs but across the board we need to dump this idea that we are not capable or shouldn't for some reason interpret our own journeys and step up to the to the practice of journeying having a journey journal and Acting on your answers so that you begin to understand that you are you are or are not interpreting your own journeys correctly. This is this this is one of the most common weaknesses in contemporary people's shamanic practice. They can journey just fine, but they're afraid to interpret their own journeys. And we as the teachers are propagating this myth that for some weird reason, right, we're not supposed to interpret our own journeys. And it makes no sense because it's not part of anyone's traditional shamanism and I see I'm quickly running out of time however I have a couple more and I think they're very important the other thing that I see as the old story really programmed into our practice of shamanism is our fear of our fear that there is much too much psychology in contemporary shamanism used as the way to rationalize the excuse to not go into the things that scare us. It is important to lean into the pointy sticks and travel boldly with our helping spirits into the places that scare us. And having your shamanic practice entirely be about a teacher who keeps creating great experiences for you, but you not diving deeply into your shadow and your work that scares you is fantasy shamanism. It's, it's basically shamanism as common interest. I gather with these people and we do shamanism because it's fun. It's like bowling. It's like spiritual bowling or, or, or gathering to go do Zumba class. I mean, it's not a bad thing to do. But the point of your shamanic practice is transparency. Is to reveal the person who came to this planet to do your soul's purpose. And to expose that, whatever that is, and find the courage to do it, and to get all this old story stuff out of the way so that you can do that. So the old story programs us to distrust fear and to fear the dark. And in doing so, the powers that keep the powers that be, right? That's storytellers of the old story, they keep you effectively a child yes i do love you dearly but we all have to grow up now that our what we gain by staying in the old story is we get to stay children and in particular we get to stay very wounded children and what shamanism offers us if we step out of the old story is the actual ability to heal that wounded child And draw that energy into the child archetype where it belongs, out of the shadow. Because the wounded child is just the shadow of the child archetype. And to begin to function in the world as adults. I mean, for most people in America, the wounded child is driving the car all the time, reacting to everything, projecting. And this is happening in shamanic circles, in shamanic practices, in people's shamanic lives. And if if you do nothing else... With your shamanism, explore your shadow, explore what you're afraid of, address your fears and learn, uh, expose them for the illusions that they truly are. You know, when we don't do our shadow work, the entire beautiful world we're creating uh, through our shamanism. Is a bubble world. It's just like what Charles Eisenstein talked about in this in the article about the space between the stories. Then the link is on the um, Facebook page for the show. But it's a bubble world. Your your entire beautiful shamanic world is a bubble world, it, and it's and it's really built on your suffering, the massive suffering of your disenfranchised selves that have been shoved into the shadow uh, because you refuse to own them. And because our mind was taught to fear and judge them. And our heart breaks again and again as our projections and our reactions destroy the intimacy and the community in our lives because the child's driving the car. There is no nobler task to ally with your helping spirits to do than to rescue yourself from your own shadow. To grow that wounded child up into a healthy child, and to allow yourself to begin to function as a spiritual adult in the world. And so consumers of shamanic teachings, you must stop going for the highs, for the next shamanic experience that will allow you to pull out and away from the separation and pain that you carry inside. Start choosing shamanic experiences that effectively help you to clear the patterns that you carry and effectively help you to rescue yourself from your own shadow. As teachers, we must actually begin to do our own shadow work with compassion and discipline until we come to a place where our spirit helpers finally suggest that perhaps we are ready to guide others in this work. For most people I meet, your shamanic life is a fantasy. It isn't actually how you live. And for those of you who have asked me year after year for decades, why would I invest four years in your teachings, Christina? You aren't even going to certify me to be a shaman. This is why. Because this is what my helping spirits taught me. It is not about all of us learning to be shamans. It's about the compassion and the courage to be fully human. To rescue yourself from your own shadow. If we are shamanic practitioners, then there is no separation between our shamanism and every other aspect of our life. And so this refusal to compassionately look into our own darkness because we are over-identified with being light workers keeps us in this false battle between dark and light, which is exactly where the powers that be want us. They want us distracted by a grand illusion on epic scale, right? They want us caught up in that illusion of that great battle between dark and light, so honored to be the, on the forces of the light. That's where they want us, continuing to be ineffective in the real world. So ground your shamanic practice in your own shadow work. Refuse to be afraid of the shadow, refuse to be afraid of the dark. The worst thing that could happen is that you could die. And isn't that exactly what you're all after? Initiation, ego death, and rebirth. If you could stop being afraid of your shadow, you might actually get what you want. And so these are some of the ways that I see our uh, contemporary practices still being held entirely in in the old story. I see this in several other ways but that basically what I'm asking us all to do now at this time in this space between stories is to look honestly and compassionately at ourselves and ask is my shamanic life a fantasy life or am I living this in every day in every way and if so thank you and if not we have the helping spirits to help us to get there. So I give thanks to the ancestors who've gathered around us here today, the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. Um, thank you, everyone, for indulging me here today. Um, I truly believe that we are the ones who can change what needs to be changed if we are willing to change it first within ourselves. Have a great week.